0: Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Libby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me, I'm only joined with one of my co-hosts because the third one is gallivanting in, with her, her girlfriend in Japan. Um,
1: who's here? It's me, Huaichen. Chen. <laughs> I'm Huaichen Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And yes, Anya is out having the time for life in Japan right now uh, with her girlfriend Philippa. Shout out to Philippa, friend of the pod.
0: Yeah, she's been on. She was on our uh, Detective Pikachu episode. She was. You guys should go back and listen to that because it was very good.
1: Yeah, um but you know she, Anya's on vacation, and it's been kind of a, a few months of vacation for us. We've been out and about and um, enjoying the summer, which is good. You know. Go out there, and enjoy the summer. Don't just uh, stay inside. Get some of that vitamin sewer. D. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, we uh, are just gonna have an episode talking about what we've been missing out on because, uh, we we haven't really seen each other a lot this um this season. It's just the season of doing things and going on vacation and going to conventions. So, you know what we're what we're gonna do this episode is uh we're doing shoot the shit part two part three. It's part two. Part
0: I think. two. Mm-hmm. I think we've. Yeah, we. Yeah, part two. We also need to come up with a better title than that because it's a swear word. Yeah, and the parents are going to get mad. Yeah, um, we
1: are a um all audience friendly podcast. If, what do you guys think about a title? Maybe yeah, uh, email us or tweet at us. We don't check the emails. So tweet at us yeah, <laughs> or write tweet. It on a Facebook. Um, uh, we
0: yeah we don't really because like we don't we try our best to do a theme episode and we've been doing this thing for a hundred this is episode 171 and this is our only I think this this is the second time we've done an episode in which we just sort of talk (laughs) about a, a myriad of things and our first talking of that was a lot of it was Disney remakes so we'll probably try and steer away from that even though there is one do kind of want to talk about a little bit, and um, I
1: have no intention of seeing it. I'm sorry, Willoughby.
0: That's fine. I'm just going to give my short little thing and say it about that. But um, yeah, we we're just gonna chill because like we were, we thought about doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as a review, uh, just putting it all out here. But Anya's on vacation, and as as you may have heard from our previous episode, Tarantino's like her one of her favorite directors. Especially, He's her boy.
1: She,
0: yeah, her her favorite problematic. Uh, white director, white man director. So we figured we would not miss out her with doing that. Yeah. Um, but Willoughby, but, so, what have you, yes. you? <laughs> what if been
1: up
0: to? What have I been up to? Let's get into it. So I've been, I actually, I've taken uh, a couple of vacations, or I guess a vacation. Yeah, you just got summer. back
1: from vacation, didn't you, Willoughby?
0: Yeah, before that, I went to my f- second anime con, um, last fall, I went to Anime NYC, uh, and that was cool because my girlfriend's really big into cosplay and anime, and so I was like, "Well, I've only been to Awesome Con," and she was like, "No, you should go to like a real con," and I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, <laughs> so I, I Awesome NYC. Con is kind now- of
1: a baby con.
0: It's a baby con. It's also a distributor con. Like mm-hmm. it's very much like we're going to sell you stuff. Um, Oda uh, anime and anime NYC is sort of like that too. But the one I went to this summer was Otacon. and that was really cool. That was really fun. I had a lot. Of, I had a really good time there. Um, it was at the convention center here in DC. It was like the twenty fifth time, to- like year of mm-hmm. of Otacon. Like it was a quarter century. Um, it's uh, like my girlfriend was explaining. It's very fan like built Mm -hmm. like it started as like a fan community con and then it you know as sponsors came in and like you know like funimation has a booth and like all these like companies have booths there and they probably provide some sort of financial support but it was really built on the backs of the fans um and that's really cool and it's really fun to see that and like the amount of like amount of work that goes into all the cosplay like i have like like i have firsthand i have I wouldn't say firsthand experience because I don't really do cosplay, but like I can I see all the work that my girlfriend puts into cosplay, and it's incredible, and I love her, and I love it, and I think that that's really cool. And to see like the final work, like, be like, among like a bunch of other people's final works and stuff is really neat. Um, And so Otakon was really a fun experience for that. Uh, And then I also bought a lot of merch. I bought like a detective Pikachu plush, Mm -hmm. Akamon from uh, Digimon, and a bunch of like enamel pins. And uh, it's pretty, it's really cool. Uh, There's a lot of really fun um, artists alley and dealers hall that was there. Um, And yeah, Otakon is a really cool experience. I, I recommend if you're like into anime or into like fan communities, like trying to try to go to like one of the lesser cons. Or like lesser and like smaller uh, cons. Smaller, not as not as big as Comic Con.
1: Yeah. I will say when I was at Comic Con, I when I was walking the um the show hall, I kept just gravitating towards all the anime booths. And it made me a little bit nostalgic and I kind of want to go to a full on anime con again. I feel like I'm falling back into the anime rabbit hole after just like being fully obsessed with Fruits Basket again and Mm -hmm. writing more about anime lately. And uh, I just, like, was going to these booths. I'm like, man, I really want to go to another anime con. Like, anime, I think it was Anime USA. That was my first ever con. And I went when Mm -hmm. I was in um, middle school. And it was just so eye-opening and amazing for me. Actually, Otacon for a long time was, like, one of my dream cons to go to. And when Willoughby said he was going, I was so excited. I was like, maybe I'll join you. But it was the same weekend that I was covering San Diego Comic-Con for work. And so I was – And then I I think you
0: think. And then you went on to like vacation, yeah, so like you had vacation. no time to like do it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Anime NYC is coming back in the fall.
1: What, what that's weekend if, is it?
0: Like November, like the seventeenth, like whatever that weekend is.
1: I uh, will probably be in Vietnam.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's the fourteenth. And hold on, I'm gonna Google this. Wow, um, this doesn't. It won't take long. Uh,
1: but yeah, I. Anime, I will say I, I miss going to a full anime con and um, just seeing all the people there, be really excited about anime and um, I just really want Fruits Basket merchandise, <laughs> that's all I really want. <laughs>
0: well, I can I can get you some or Melissa can help because she knows the, the characters better than I do. Mm. I know nothing. I know everything you've told me. Well, you know, um,
1: my favorite character is actually a redhead, Willoughby.
0: That's fun. His um, name is okay, so I looked. I, I looked it up. Anime NYC is the fifteenth through the seventeenth of, of November. November. Yeah.
1: I think I will be out of town, so I'm kind of. Sad. Oh no! I know. Well,
0: let let me and Melissa know what you want in merchandise, and we may pick up some charms or something, mm. um, or some some nice plush. Uh, yeah, no, anime cons are really cool, and I I think they're neat, um, and like. Yeah, I think it's the sense of community is really cool, and I can see why my girlfriend's been doing this for like ten years.
1: Yeah, it's really. How long has she fun. been cosplaying?
0: For like, yeah, for like 10, 10 12 really? years.
1: Really, God, yeah. cosplay is amazing. I think I tried my hand. I didn't, I have no craft skills at all, but I remember trying like really ramshackle sort of cos, cosplays early on. Did not work out because I don't know how to do anything. But like it was fun it was just like fun people would recognize you sometimes and you would wear like i think i dressed up one time as like um misa from death note and i had like a blonde wig and um some like urban some hot topic-esque outfits it's a really easy um uh outfit to cosplay character to cosplay but yeah you know it's it's fun i i i miss that community
0: um i cosplayed as a character from the adventure zone podcast at anime nyc because a bunch of us were gonna do like a meetup uh like a bunch of my friends who who like also like listen to the podcast were also cosplaying characters Have you talked so about we like, adventure had zone
1: like a... on this uh, on this podcast before
0: i did yeah uh, the week you were out i talked about it with anya i was i'm like this close to getting her to listen to it um <laughs> And I also recommend it for you as well, HT. It's found family. It's Ooh. fantasy. There's a lot of good humor, good good uh, character development, and like uh, there's 69 episodes, and it's uh, at least the first arc is that. So like you can if you ha- if you can you- if you listen to like an hour or two a day, you'd be if you, yeah. If you listen to like two hours of it a day, you'd be through through like a month. Mm.
1: Um,
0: it's really cool. It's really good. I really recommend it um i'm not going to go too much into it on this episode because you could listen to me talk about it on the percy jackson episode
1: um which because that I was on the we gra- will listen to
0: yeah um i also recommend percy jackson for you as well um i think that episode would be good to listen to if you're like hesitant because like if you like like me i only knew of the books or, i i only knew of the movies and i knew they were bad so I, I learned my lesson to not not judge a book by its movie. Um,
1: <laughs> I remember watching uh, the so first I, Percy Jacks movie and it wasn't terrible. It wasn't great either. It just felt very much like a leftover in the um, sort of string of Harry Potter knockoffs that were coming. And so it didn't right. leave much I an impression think- on me.
0: Which is ironic, considering it was also direct. Both of those films were directed by Christopher Columbus. Really, Um, Chris
1: Columbus directed Percy Jackson? Did not know that. Yeah,
0: he directed. I think he directed both both films. Um, The second one is not great either, Uh, but the books are so much better than the movies. Mm -hmm. So like, um, and yeah, you could listen to all the differences. We we get into the Harry Potter comparisons on this on the episode, Um, but I also talk about how great the graphic novel is. The graphic novels. There's two. Adventure Zone graphic novels that have come out now. And I, and if you don't have the time to listen to the podcast, those are good, su- succinct versions of the story arcs that they did.
1: Can you give um, a summary, a quick summary of what Adventure Zone is about?
0: Yeah. So it's basically, I actually don't know if I've ever talked about the summary because um, so it's, uh, well, no, I've talked about what it is. The podcast is itself uh, a production by the McElroy brothers and their dad and one of the McElroy brothers is the DM and his two brothers and their dad are the character are playing characters. Um, and they basically do a d campaign over, you know, the course of like 70, 69, 70 episodes. Um, and the story is basically like a fighter, an elf and a, a dwarf cleric um, basically like uh, meet up and have to do a job and then the job turns out to be um their first step into like a larger organization that is trying to um uh find these grand relics that are um like basically like weapons of mass destruction Mm. that they're basically like every arc is them trying to find a a grand relic and then like but also like shenanigans ensue (laughs) over every arc um and like the first arc is your your basic like cave exploration and then and then they go um uh, the second arc is they're on a train and they have to solve a murder um so it's like murder on the orient express but it's like murder on the Rockport limited um and then there's one where it's like um they have a like a like a street racing arc um they have a uh it gets it gets sort of science fictiony as well because there's like um, it's not just fantasy like they re- they bring in like a lot of different things so there's one where it's called where they basically have to go to a like lunar base and like stop the uh, the, the spread of like growing crystals that if you touch it you'll explode okay. and then they have they have like time tr- they have like a time locked one i think HTU would really appreciate the time say, lock.
1: i'm kind of getting doctor who vibes in um, yeah so i mean, it's like big different adventure
0: every yeah every every arc which is about ten, 10 like 9 or 10 episodes an arc will be like a new a new adventure with the same characters and then and then as the the story progresses progresses there's stuff i can't say because it's all spoilery um but it gets into like a real good found family situation and mm-hmm. like uh, every time i listen to the the three part finale i cry because it's really beautiful so like,
1: is it over
0: uh, they they moved on to a different story. Um, oh, I see, I see. Uh, called the Adventure Zone Amnesty, which takes place, which is sort of like a Gravity Falls, um, Twin Peaks type um, wow. story. This is
1: really ambitious yeah. stuff, high concept stuff. Oh yeah, I'm,
0: I mean yeah, um, but they and they moved on from Dungeons and Dragons to um, a game called Monster of the Week, which is basically like you go, you have characters that have to go on a hunt to def- de- defeating some sort of beast, hmm. some sort of like monster. Kind of Buffy esque as well. Um,
1: You're just using all these keywords that make me like that pique my interest, Willoughby. Doctor Who, Buffy.
0: There's buzzwords here that will that will uh, unlock the the interest, Um, the HT interest. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's really good. I think I think you would like it. Uh, You know, I know you're you're busy. You got a lot of time that you really can't devote to a lot of things. But you could also pick up the graphic novels. And read them you know they probably have them at the library so if mm. you're like if you don't want to invest in the book you could probably go to the library about it um
1: a good idea actually i'm trying to read more instead of reading yeah. fruits basket which i've been doing
0: <laughs> and the, the art the art and the graphic novels are really good too okay. um
1: who does the yeah, graphic no, novels
0: I, um it's still done by the McElroy brothers and their dad wow and then they're
1: it's, very talented people huh
0: yeah and they've also written... They did a comic series for Marvel earlier this year called uh, War of the Realms colon, Journey into Mystery in which Miles Morales, Kate Bishop um, and a bunch of other characters uh, including Wonder Man um, and Balder the Brave who is Thor's brother have to basically babysit Thor's uh, uh, baby sister um, as while the um, War of the Realms is happening. Hmm. Um, and the, like, there's like a larger like the the latest Marvel like you know, like crossover event is called War of the Realms and it's basically Malekith, who you know from Thor the Dark World, who is a completely different character in the comics. He's of like course. this like vibrant, like uh like uh so scar level campiness uh of like a character who Ooh. is like uh, I mean it's like done well. It's not No 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 I'm not... just like
1: thinking about Eccleston's version. Like that's not at all what he did and oh, I yeah. wish it was like that. And I'm yeah, thinking, if, I wonder if Eccleston could have done that, though.
0: I think he could have. I think he, if he put on the charm, if he put on, like, the the show, like, that's the thing, is, like, Malekith in the movie is such, a, like, this, like, I'm going dour. to... Dour. Soul- yeah, he's very dour. But, I mean, like, um, he's not maniacal, but, like, this version of Malekith is very, like, egomaniacal mm-hmm. and very, like, look at me, I am the best, and also I'm going to kill you all. I love that. Um, and... So, like, that that's, like, the larger, like, crossover event, and, like, this is one of those, like, spin-off or, like, you know, like, you know, like, tie-in novel, graphic mm. novels, um, and the McElroys and their dad did that, basically because they, the Adventure Zone was number one New York Times bestseller in trade fiction, uh, in trade paperback fiction, so they basically, like, you know, got some, a, an opportunity from Marvel to write for them, and that was pretty cool.
1: That's really cool.
0: Yeah, and like they, you know, they have this whole podcast family of podcasts that they've been doing for years. I really, I really enjoy the McElroy brothers. Um, My brother, my brother, me is their like flagship show. That's their like joke advice podcast where they do a lot of goofs, a lot of bits. um, And I've been listening to them for like two years. Um, That was a long extended thing on the Adventure Zone. I recommend it.
1: That's what this episode's for. It's just us shooting the shit yeah. about what we want to do or what we want to talk about. Hmm. Still trying to think of a title for this this like segment. I don't really know what it would be. Millennial chatter. I don't know. Now uh, the millennials. <laughs> is
0: there is there like, like a like a texting pun? I don't um, know. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. It's it's, it's the ongoing plot. Let us know
1: what you want this segment to be called. Something that's not shoot the shit. Something that's a little bit more um, all audience friendly.
0: Yeah. So, H.C., what have you been, like, paying attention to and whatnot Mm -hmm. and, like, doing? Like, I mean, I guess it could be for work because, you know, your job is to report on all things movie, televisions, and anime. Um, Like, what have you – but, like, have you been watching anything for yourself?
1: Um, for myself, well, like, I have done, a f- uh, gone to a few things for myself, which were fun. Uh, last weekend I actually saw Constantine for the first time. That's the uh, two thousand and four Keanu Reeves movie directed by Francis Lawrence, of all people, and um, the guy from
0: the Hunger Games. Trilogy? Yeah,
1: yeah. And when I watched this I didn't movie, she didn't you mean either when I watched Constantine, I was like, "What happened to this director?" Why is he so much more boring as a director now? Because Constantine rules Willoughby. I had so much fun seeing this. So this was a 35 millimeter showing. No, wait, 70 millimeter showing. No, wait, 35 Ooh. millimeter. 35 millimeter showing. Still good. <laughs> 35 know, that's, millimeter that's... showing of Constantine at the Nighthawk Cinema you, in Williamsburg, and it was like a brunch uh, showing of it. So they had like sort of a, a themed menu to go to go with it.
0: Was it like Alamo Draft House where you like order something and they bring it to you?
1: Yeah, Nighthawk is actually a like subsidiary or like owned by the same people as Alamo, so they have the same exact same menu. Actually, that's Um, fun. Yeah, and so we went. Do they like do the? did
0: they do the same programming that Alamo does, just at a secondary location, or is this like its own thing?
1: Some different programming, but um, they have like similar, somewhat similar programs. But yeah,
0: sort of like like um. Not rev- revisions. What, what, what am I thinking? Retrospectives, um, retrospectives, and uh, like, re- like revisits. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. they like play old movies.
1: Mm-hmm. Older yeah. Movies. Exactly. So we yeah. went to see Constantine, which is a movie that my friend Elise. Uh, loves and raves about and says that it's sorely underrated and I completely agree. It has for some reason a 46% in Rotten Tomatoes which I think is abominable because this movie is just incredibly fun and grimy and stylish in a way that you, you rarely see superhero movies these days. It has a bold vision going for it and just leans completely into that vision. And for sure, it's different than what the original comics are, but I think I like it more for that. I think it kind of works as just a pitch-perfect noir set in L.A.
0: Um. Oh, no. Go for it. Oh. I, I was going to hear Okay.
1: Ooh, sorry. <laughs> Set in L.A., and for some reason, also starring Shia LaBeouf. But the rest of the cast is great. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, so it stars Keanu Reeves as Constantine. It also yes. stars Rachel Weiss. It stars Ooh. Tilda Swinton as the Angel Gabriel. Great casting. And Peter That's Stormare crazy. as Satan. And then Shia That's LaBeouf like- is there for some reason.
0: <laughs> Does he play? Okay, so th- this was 2004, you said? Mm-hmm. So this is right around when Shia LaBeouf was starting to be, like, in movies. Yeah. So, like, I think that's the same year that he was also in iRobot as the, like, like, weird friend to Will Smith? Is that, like, the situation he,
1: here? I forgot he was an iRobot. Yeah, so basically yeah. When, when when Shia LaBeouf shows up, despite me knowing that he was in this movie, I forgot he was in the movie because he is so much an outlier of it. Um, he shows up, and he's, like, this annoying little kid apprentice of Constantine named Chaz. <laughs> Chaz. <I'm> sorry, he's, <laughs> an,
0: he, he's an apprentice to, to Constantine named Chaz. Yep why (laughs) didn't this movie win the palm (laughs) door
1: and uh he's doing his shia labeouf thing um but he he shows up for all of like 10 minutes at the beginning and he disappears for the rest of the movie and then shows up again for like the last five minutes at the end and it's hilarious to me because it feels very much like the requisite this is the new it boy you have to have him in your movie and he shows up barely at all in the movie and um it's just it was just really funny to me whenever he made an appearance because it's like oh this is the the Shia LaBeouf uh, required by the studio appearance, but Cause, yeah because this
0: was right this was like after even Stevens was over mm-hmm. he I think he was he had made holes or was about to make holes no no he had made holes yeah and so like he was like the the fresh on the scene like it boy like you were saying and then he made Constantine and then he made uh, Disturbia and Eagle Eye and Indiana Jones, iRobot, and, like, a, a guide to recognizing your saints, and Transformers. Transformers, like, of course. Between, like, 2004 and 2008, he had this, like, string of, like, number ones and, like, supporting cast roles in, like, these big budget films. And then he's like, I'm not going to do that anymore.
1: Speaking of Shia LaBeouf, I'm really excited about his new upcoming film, Honey Boy. Have you seen the trailer for that?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but I've seen bits on twitter like yeah like some images stills yeah.
1: the trailer he, like, plays
0: his dad he right plays his
1: dad the trailer is really powerful um and it's so fascinating to see him kind of go through this almost therapeutic process of reckoning with his dad dad's influence on him and his career and like that sort of parasitic relationship that he has with him and uh it's like him kind of you know going through his career too like there are parts there are bits of the movie that you see, like the behind the scenes of him shooting Even Stevens or Transformers, and really? um, yeah, uh, like the pie scene that they show is like from Even Stevens, and like sh- they show the uh, whole process of doing that. It's fascinating. It's kind of like it's almost watching the trailer. I feel like it's almost a little invasive. I'm like going into his his experience in a really raw and personal way, but I'm really fascinated by it. And Shia LaBeouf as his dad is like such a weird therapeutic thing that like I. I'm happy that he's working through it in, like, his own specific way. But I I don't know. Like, it's almost like a weird thing to experience myself or to witness myself because it feels so personal. Right. But I'm excited it's like to that, see it.
0: Do you remember when he was, like, he watched all of his films and people could watch his films with him?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was, like, this weird, like, self-reflection. I yeah. feel like this is that taken to the extreme.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm really ac- interested in seeing it. It got raised at Sundance. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so... Do you
0: think... So, do just, like people play like other famous people is it one of those situations where like someone plays michael bay and someone plays like i don't know like other people from i don't Stephen. think it's like, gonna
1: just be about the cameos because it feels very right. much just about him and his dad and um i don't remember seeing a lot of like famous fa- faces in the movie like i don't think you're like oh here's michael bay it's not like a biopic where it's just like who are you thank you john it's lennon like- from the beatles
0: It's not like a a disaster artist where it's like, this is the making of this particular film Mm -hmm. from Shia LaBeouf's perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of just their ancillary characters.
1: Mm. And and, um, Lucas Hedges plays teen Shia LaBeouf. Um, Lucas Hedges does? Yeah. Isn't Lucas Hedges like 6'5"? I don't know. I don't know anything about his height.
0: I mean, like... (laughs) I I I see Lucas Hedges and I don't see Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. but maybe you he, know. maybe...
1: I will say he has his vocal takes down pretty well in the trailer, from what I saw. Mm-hmm. I have to. I have to take a look at the trailer because yeah.
0: for some reason I my brain can't compute that. But mm-hmm. you know,
1: no, it's it's really yeah. good. I also was kind of on the fence about it too, cause just because it just seemed like a very self indulgent project on his part. But then watching it, it it it's made clear that it's very much just like him opening up his soul to us, like, bearing his soul to us. I'm like, I don't know how, I also don't, like, it's, it's gonna be tough to watch, I'm sure. Um, Sure. But, yeah. But yeah, Constantine. Yeah. I know that's fine. This is, this is the loosey-goosey episode. Loosey-goosey episode. But yeah, I really like Constantine. It's got that grimy, uh, neo-noir stylishness that uh, I really enjoy. And, um, it almost felt like, in the vein of, of uh fincher-esque early like late 90s early 2000s crime dramas in the way that it's styled it's so arch and it's so just like on so cinematic and so stylish i think you would like it a lot
0: so i've always heard that it was a bad movie which it's is a why i never good watched movie.
1: it it's not That's a bad a, movie so, like,
0: can I can I ask, like, did you do any research as to why it got bad reviews? Like, what do the Rotten Tomatoes, I like, blurbs say? I
1: honestly think it was released ahead of its time. It, yeah. it came out now, it would definitely get raves, or at least it would get much more of a warm, um, like, reaction than it did then. I don't know. Right,
0: because Keanu, we're in a Keanu can do no wrong yeah. like, situation situation and
1: he's he's good in this like he Mm -hmm. he's doing the very typical Keanu thing and um it feels almost like there are some uh seeds of John Wick being planted in there too because uh Chad Stahelski was the stunt coordinator for this film and it feels sort of wickian in some parts too in the action sequences
0: he's like Keanu's man right like they're like yeah
1: they're buddies they've been together working together since the matrix like he was his stunt man for the matrix and um there's definitely some sort of like dark uh, grittiness to this film that feels proto John Wick. I don't know, I just I I I understand that there are parts that don't work, but I just wholly enjoyed it and I don't think it deserves that 46% at all. If anything is like it deserves high 80s.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so great you, it's film. greater than the sum of its parts, you'd oh, say. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, like, it I'm just not does... even
1: like the sum of its parts. I just, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I think the only outlier was Shia LaBeouf, but that was like a very much a studio thing. But otherwise, it's a pitch perfect noir. I liked it a lot. I don't
0: know. Uh, I can't wait for the. I can't Reuser. can't wait for the pitch perfect spinoff, pitch perfect noir. <laughs> Anna Kendrick is back in a trench coat, and it's like black and white.
1: Yeah. But anyways, it's good. I think you would enjoy it. It actually... Like, the style also reminds me somewhat of um, uh, the first Hellboy, in a way. Okay. Um, cool. Very... So, Do I think... You... Is
0: he... Okay, so this is the same Constantine from the DC comics, right? Yeah.
1: It is very different from the Constantine comics. There's no resemblance at all, really.
0: Because, like, I saw... I've seen... I've watched a lot of... I guess he's on Arrow. Uh, Constantine shows up in both Legends of Tomorrow and Arrow as, like, very comic book, like, I guess, accurate, where he's got, like, blonde hair and, like, a red tie and, like, a brown trench coat. But from, like, all all the art I've seen in – from or all the, like, stills and images I've seen from this movie, like, Keanu Reeves does not look like he wears the comics costume at all.
1: It's not at all similar. Like, he's an American. He's working Mm -hmm. in L.A., Um, they borrow, I think, like, one storyline from the comics, but they make a lot of, take a lot of creative license with it. And, um, it's, there's basically no resemblance other than the name and, um, that basic plot. But it's sort of like, um, I think that might be why, I'm sorry.
0: Oh, it's like they took the name Blade Runner, but they, it's not what, uh, the, the movie is. It's not, you know, it's Android, do Androids dream of electric sheep? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like a reverse
0: situation from they that. They just took
1: it as like inspiration and did their own thing. But yeah, it makes me a little sad too that Francis Lawrence isn't doing something quite as stylish and as, as cool as this. Like, yeah, a lot of things are very on the nose, but I think that it, it works so well in the context of this world. And there's no line of dialogue or no action wasted. I just think it's great. And um, do you think, everyone's wrong. Do you think that
0: his blandness as a director is a fault on the studio for hunger games like trying to keep it you know like a tight grip and not giving him too much creative control because like that seems weird that he would do you know like i'm guessing dc didn't give a shit about constantine so they probably were like yeah do whatever they do whatever you want i
1: think it's possible that he recoiled from the backlash to constantine and basically Um, went in the opposite direction it's like i want to make a gritty realistic War movie and not have any style or flair at all. <laughs> There's just so yeah. much flair in Constantine. It's so fun. Um, I re- I recommend it. Will be. I think you'd enjoy it a lot. And um, cool. it's, I will, it's I will funny put too. It on the list. Yeah. Put it on the list. Yeah. It's like Our like, ever-growing yeah, list. Like, it's good. Yeah. Will be. Watch it. Okay.
0: Well. Um. Uh. I guess. I guess we don't really have turns right now, but I'm gonna talk about um succession oh so yeah I that's started... something
1: that Anya has been trying to get us to watch for a while and you finally gave in
0: I I well I just saw okay so it was basically like on my twitter last year when was it last year that succession came out was it yeah, 2018 last year I think so there was only two people on my twitter timeline who was talking about it It was Karen Hahn who were, what writes for Polygon and Anya so, like, the two of them were talking about Succession, and I was like, okay, so it's, like, an, an you know, like, uh, kind of, like, a niche show, very, like, you know, like, only for a couple people, maybe, you know, maybe I'm, it's not for me, because I saw the trailer for it, and I was, like, maybe I was, like, fed up at the time with, like, Adam McKay and all that, you know, like, self-indulgent bullshit yeah. about, like, being like, look, look at these terrible assholes and their terribleness and like revel in this. And I was like, I don't need that right now. What I need is like positivity Mm -hmm. and like the, you know, like watching shows that like I'm not going to like hate the characters for. So like when I saw the trailer for Succession, I was like, oh, so this is basically like dramatic Arrested Development with like, like facets of the Murdoch family. I'm like, I don't know if I want to watch that. And, but then everyone was – and then a lot more people started watching it, and, like, like Anya was really in love with the show, and I was, like, listening to her talk about it, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll give it a shot at some point. Like, maybe I just need to, like, distance myself from the hype to, like, you know, like, disassociate that with, like, my own enjoyment of the show. Because,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like, I, I was – what happens to me is, like, when a lot of people start watching this, something – I sort of back away from it, like sort of like maybe I'll, I'll wait for the hype to die down to mm-hmm. then to, to then like take a look. Unless it's something I like need to watch. Like it's like extremely my shit, you know. But if it's like a show that I don't really have any interest in, but a lot of people say it's really good. I sort of wait to to like have my own judgment of it, I guess. Um, and so this was Succession where I was like, you know, what, I'm just going to like maybe I'll get around to it one day. And then season two was announced and it's like they're revving up season two and like HBO has been like pushing it and promoting, promoting it. And so I just like, you know what, it's 10 episodes. I got a, I got a weekend. Let me let me see how many I can get through um, without going like these people are terrible and we going to turn this off. And what I found is that it's really good and the characters are compelling and it's, you know, that they, yes, they are assholes to each other, but like it doesn't feel like like there's still empathy towards some of these characters and like the acting is really good and the music is good. And like, I don't uh, like wall street shenanigans. I never understand a thing they say. And I don't think that's the point of the show where like their emotions are running high. And like, that's fine with me. So like when they're like, Oh, the stocks are down. I'm like, okay, that's bad. And they're like, we're back up. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, Like that's all I know about stocks and stuff like that. Um, and Brian Cox delivers a really good performance as like the patriarch of the family and I'm like, "Huh. This is good." Like uh, and K- Kieran Culkin, brother of McCulley, <laughs> is like the sta- like one of the standouts. Like I think he ber- he brings that like chaotic Wallace Wells energy from uh, Scott Pilgrim.
1: Yeah. Um
0: and like and brings that to the show in like a much needed I wouldn't say comic relief, but, like, he's the he's the one that makes the most jokes.
1: I hear um, that it's really funny, like, in an Armando yeah. in Iannucci way, you know, like where every, terrible people are being terrible, but it's really – it's just, like, a really wry and funny way of, of doing it. It's, like, almost making fun of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it basically is like that. It's also, like – so the the best part is, is that Kieran Culkin's character basically takes the piss out of everyone else. Like, mm-hmm. he's the one that sort of has, like, an outsider perspective in terms of, like, look at all the bullshit that – you guys are all like spewing like none of this matters like that sort of like i wouldn't say nihilism but just sort of like corporate nihilism where he's just like none of this matters you guys are being jerks to each other for nothing mm-hmm. and it's like that's sort of like almost like he's commenting on what we're also seeing which is kind of good like if it was just uh, like a like a bird's eye perspective of what these characters were i don't know if i'd like have the patience stomach for it mm. the patience for it um but but like karen colkin he, he's not the audience surrogate but he is the audience surrogate in terms of like your reaction to the to these people is mm. also his reaction to these people um he, but he's also kind of an he's also an asshole himself like he's not he's not a saint either um it's 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 a complicated show it's complex but i think it's it is good the writing is solid um and i i think yeah it's funny um and i i do recommend it i'm not finished with it yet i'm saying i think i've about four episodes left but like from what i've seen like it's really good and the cast is like amazing um it's cool to see alan ruck doing his thing as like being like alan ruck he's sort of turned into like i always forget that alan ruck's old Like <laughs> I don't, you know like because you watch like ferris bueller yeah or, or other films or he's in but he's like in his like early 20s or like late 20s early 30s and you're just like oh yeah alan rock now but he shows up with like gray hair like a beard and i'm like oh wow um and then yeah the, the show is good uh i recommend succession on HBO.
1: There's so many shows that I need to catch up on.
0: That's <laughs> why I mean, it also took me this long because I'm like, I got other things. Yeah, that I want like, to I see
1: Succession. I want to see Chernobyl. Honestly, a lot of these are HBO shows. Um, I want to see Euphoria. Yeah. I haven't even seen the first season of Big Little Lies, although I hear season two is not worth it. Um, yeah, well, I, season one is. Yeah, season worth one it. is worth it, but I hear season two isn't. Uh, but I would watch season no. one. I did enjoy reading the uh, the mess. Of the -the behind-the-scenes production that was season two, uh, which is, like, kind of upsetting because they really just um, screwed over the female director that they hired on for it so that they could have the same style as the first season, which is fine. But just, like, don't screw her over or, like, lie to her in the first place. But whatever. I don't know anything about
0: it. Yeah, it's why there's seven um, credited editors on every episode, which is not how things work yeah. in usual TV shows. um Yeah. So what else?
1: Hmm, let's Session. see. What, what else have I been up to? Uh, I've been watching a lot of stuff for work. Saw "Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark," which I actually I think you would like, Willoughby be? because it's a kid-friendly it, horror is it? movie. Is it scary? It's scary, but like it's geared towards kids, like in the Mm. way that I wouldn't. I read those books. Yeah,
0: as a kid, I think you
1: would really. I never actually read them books. I didn't have like an affiliation with them, but I enjoyed it all the same. Um, But I will say, it's like it's a movie made for a younger demographic, but it doesn't pull its punches. So it doesn't. um, I don't know what the closest comparison would be. Uh, It's somewhat like. I don't want to say, like, Hocus Pocus. That's, like, geared towards kids. But I don't know. Um, Something like Jim Henson's 80s movies, like Labyrinth or something. Or um, what's that movie with Tim Curry where he's the demon-looking thing?
0: Clue? (laughs)
1: That's a great one, too. Um, No. Um, But, you know, like, those kind of movies that are sort of made for a younger audience but – still have really scary and really frightening elements um, and take its audience seriously. That's what Scary Stories Tell in the Dark is. Um, it's set in the 60s and it follows a group of kids who um, enter this haunted house and steal a book of scary stories from it and the scary stories start writing themselves and coming to life. And those are the stories that you see in the the book itself. So the monsters come to life from the book, kind of in the way that Goosebumps is, but in a much less campy and much more serious way but i think less
0: jack black movie yeah
1: that jack black movie i think he would really enjoy it i i enjoyed it as despite not really knowing much about the books um i actually had heard some of the stories myself as just like urban myths because i i know that um the author had collected them as like a tale of urban myths and campfire stories and it they it plays very much in that way in the movie so i recommend it i think non horror fans would really enjoy this movie, and the design is impeccable uh the body horror is there even though it doesn't get bloody because it's pg thirteen it's it's catered towards that younger audience, so there's no like real blood or anything and there're like some jump scares, but it's not something that's like you know terrifying and traumatizing you should I think you'd like it. Willoughby. It
0: Okay. I probably will not see it in theaters but I probably you know like if there's ever if it comes to Netflix or Prime or Hulu or you know it's cheap to rent on Amazon maybe I'll check it out. It's a good kid Um, adventure
1: movie with some scary scary sequences in between so I think
0: I was I was wondering how they were going to adapt it because I have read the stories and Mm -hmm. it is just a collection of short stories. Yeah. And so I was wondering like what the narrative will be so like that makes more sense that it's like almost like a meta textual Mm -hmm. element to it um is it is is it the actual like children's books that they like pick up or is it like like its own in-universe
1: like it's an own in-universe thing they create this whole story about this haunted house that was it's kind of like the haunting of hill house i don't know if you've ever seen this but um it's on netflix recently um but it's this family who had um basically owned this big paper mill in that in the town Um, and they slowly like disappeared through mysterious means and they had this one daughter who was hidden from the rest of the world into her entire life and isolated in this room and the only um interaction she would have with the outside world was when children would come visit her and she would tell them scary stories through the walls and um after she died, they say that like her, her ghost haunts the house. And if you ask her for a story, that'll be the last story that you ever hear. And so it's her book of stories that they that they steal from the from the mansion. And uh she's kind of like the sort of grudge like character that you need to find they need to investigate and find out why she has like a vendetta against the town and everything.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. Very
1: interesting. Yes, it it's good. It's a fun. It's a fun movie. Um, it has its flaws, of course, but it's a uh, quite good for the kind of the audience that it's going for, and the movie and the kind of movie, um, the property that it's adapting. But yeah, scary stories to tell in the dark. I recommend. What else did I see? uh You saw Good Time. I did. On yeah, that was kind of a, a spontaneous thing that happened yesterday because uh, we were. I've been kind of trying to recoup my monetary losses because I've been out and about a lot recently and on vacation, so I'm kind of broke. But A24 has been holding these public screenings of their movies um, for free in various places, often themed to the movie itself. They had the witch in, like, some field in the middle of nowhere i think was it
0: still on a billboard or was it on a screen it's
1: like on a big billboard kind of thing like they have a big screen i don't really know about the other ones but good time it's which is a very Mm -hmm. new york movie it's set in queens they held at this park in in queens um i think it's actually at like an intersection that they mentioned in the movie and they held it they put this big billboard underneath the subway line and um so people were just like sitting in the park and. Watching it as the subway was going back and forth. And uh, at first, I was wondering, like, whether how this experience would be because the subway is very loud. But it really adds yeah. to the overall experience because it's a very, it's a grimy, um, unsettling. It's one of the most uncomfortable experiences of watching a movie I've had because <laughs> it's like on edge. Because oh you're on edge the entire time, and Robert Pattinson plays a character who's wholly unlikable, and yet you kind of have. A grain of sympathy for him because he's somewhat competent, um, but the title itself, "Good Time," is very ironic because every person that he meets and encounters in the movie has a bad time, and uh, in fact, he makes <laughs> all of their lives worse in the meeting. So it's, it's like
0: a uh, "The Great Gatsby" is an ironic title. Yeah, he's exactly. not so great.
1: Yeah, but um, Barbara Panson plays a petty criminal who has a mentally uh, challenged brother. And uh, he takes his brother out of therapy because he believes it's bad for his brother and instead takes him to accompany him on a robbery, a bank robbery. And uh, after his brother gets caught, he spends an entire night trying to get enough bail money to uh, get his brother out because his brother is like, you know, mentally challenged. And does not, is not doing well in the prison right. environment. And he's actually like beaten up pretty, really badly at one point. Um, and uh, it's just like takes place over the course of, basically one night and uh, it's very on edge kind of movie um, and remember, I remember when I first saw it I saw it like two years ago when it came out um, It's a movie I very much disliked the experience of watching but as I came away from it I liked it more and more just because of how like wonderful. Art Pattinson's performance is. It's so great. It's so nuanced. And it was a movie that really convinced me of his talents as a character actor. And um, yeah, just how well made that movie is and how New York it feels. It's like seeping from its very core. So it was really fun to see it um, with the crowd in a park underneath the subway. It fe- felt very much like... In Queens. In, yeah, in Queens. It was like the spirit of the movie lifted and surrounding us. So that was actually quite yeah. fun.
0: I've, I've, okay, so I heard about the eight a- it's called. I think it's called A Twenty Four Public Access because mm. these are like free fil- showings, and so like when they announced that, I like looked into what they were doing. So like they showed Ladybird in Sacramento, uh-huh. and at like a you know like you know like they're all like locations that are either in the movie or you know they have some sort of connection. So like Moonlight. Takes place in Miami, at like a very specific intersection um, that I think is also featured in the film. If I'm not correct, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm correct, um, and like like you were saying, like the witch is played in like a field, you know, probably like
1: in, in New England Salem or whatever. Yeah.
0: Um, and then like you were saying, Good Time is played in Queens and stuff, and so like I don't know, don't know, I can't list off all of them, but like I really think that's a really interesting, creative way to show films, yeah, which is like a free and B like you're in the same spot that these films are occupying yeah um and in the cultural and physical and like like cinematic sense so i think that that's real like like i wonder because you've seen it twice do you think this was a better oh version like experience of watching it
1: oh i i liked i actually liked it a lot on second viewing because i could i knew what i was going into and like i was able to appreciate Mm -hmm. more just like the movie itself um yeah, I like the experience of seeing it in that, like, surrounded by the setting of when in which it takes place. Um, yeah, I think it definitely adds to it. And uh, it's great marketing on A24's part. Like, A24 is proving time and again that they really know their audience. And um, it doesn't really great in the way that Netflix's social media marketing that towards millennials grates. I don't know. Mm-hmm. They seem to really understand and they know how to um, appeal to that. Very specific demographic of cinephile millennials. <laughs>
0: yeah, who are willing when... to go to a billboard and watch a movie exactly. on it. Exactly. There
1: are a lot of hip people surrounding me, all dressed sure. very, very fashionably. But I remember when Good Time was first coming out, the way that A24 marketed it was that they sent um, cakes with Robert Pattinson's face to oh, yeah. press. Which I found hilarious. Like they, they have like that perfect blend of irreverence and um, prestige that they know how to market their films. Um, I wonder if like at one point it'll be like we'll start rolling our eyes at it. But for now, I think they have really nailed that market really well, and I'm glad that they also continue to boost and support indie films when Disney is slowly taking over the rest of the market.
0: Yeah, they've been doing. A, they do a good. They've been. They also do a good job of like. Um, finding easy ways to access their films, I know for a while I don't remember if it's still um I think it I think that something happened with it, but um canopy
1: mm-hmm. the,
0: the um which is like you can uh log in through your like public library card it's
1: still going um, mm-hmm.
0: it's still going yeah so like a twenty four like they put all their films on on that service so that if you have a library card, you can just watch their films on that. um they, they have also have Amazon with, too, yeah. That, that's, like, the one where if you have an actual subscription, like, that's the film to go to. But I've also seen a couple A24 films hit Netflix. Um, oh. I think maybe, like, their deal has... Ex- I think maybe... I don't know if it's, like, a an, an, an ongoing expiration date, but it, um, I think, like, Spring Breakers showed up on Netflix, although I think that's a joint production with Annapurna, so maybe it's not mm. the same deal. Um, but other films... I think I saw a couple other... Moonlight is on Netflix um, mm. right now. Um, one thing so-
1: that... Oh, keep going.
0: Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I I think A24, even though, like, their merchandise, if you go to the website, is pretty expensive. Like, they them they themselves are, like, a good company of trying to, like, make their films accessible. Yeah. Even though they're not a large studio that can put their films on 3,000 screens. Yeah. Like, they do their best to be, like, we know you're not going to see, you know, you may not get a chance to see it in theaters, so here's five other ways to watch it on your computer.
1: Yeah, they're great at the word of mouth thing. Um, The one thing that irks me, or well, not irks me, but, like, um... Yeah, I'll say irks because they're because they're not a big studio. They're not available. They're not able to do a, an extended Oscar campaign for all of their movies. So, like for mm-hmm. example, when uh, Lady Bird uh, and was uh, up for like a bunch of nominations and stuff, I feel like I was really upset that they didn't go into more of a campaign for the Florida project because so that was my favorite film of the year, and Willem mm-hmm. Dafoe was like the one nomination. Uh, at the Oscars and everything else got gypped and I was like I was so upset about that and they but they only have the resources to concentrate on one so that's why they're like went all in on Lady Bird which makes sense because it's a great film it's more accessible um and it's definitely more that's like uh Oscar worth Oscar worthy Oscar easier to sell to the Oscars but I was just really sad that, that the Florida Project got completely Snubbed, and I just that was the one thing that I was like, "Ah, oh, a twenty four. I wish you had money, and you could just go in on all of it and just take over the Oscars."
0: It's <sighs> like um in twenty, it's the when twenty fifteen happened, and there was Room and Ex Machina. Mm. They they focused their Oscar attention on Room,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um even though I Ex Machina is like just as deserving of like a gr- like really great film with really good performances that could al- also won Oscars. Yeah, um, sure. I think. But I think, but they were like I think you know, Room tells a more important story, um, and like socially and culturally, it tells a much more like, you know, like robot sentience isn't gonna be a thing for
1: mm-hmm.
0: a, at least two years. So like, what but what's going at on in Room? At least two years. <laughs> at least two years. But like, what's going on in Room is like a really like horrible, you know, it was a really horrible tragedy and like all that. And I think you know with and Brie Larson's performances is like by far the best of that year I think yeah. um, so I think that, that you know like they I think you know if they had to focus their attention on one film I think Room was the film to do it but I understand what you're saying with like the Florida Project and um, Lady Bird like yeah. both are incredible films and they only had resources for one Oscar campaign but hopefully you know hopefully they get, they get more money I mean they they churn out films I'm really interested and excited for The Lighthouse
1: mm, me um, too.
0: Like, it's, I think it's, you know, horror-ish, but it doesn't look like it's jump scary. It doesn't look like, you know, it's not, it doesn't, it's not like supernaturally scary, but it looks like, it looks like.
1: By the director of um, The Witch, which right. is a great and I, film. And uh, the movie that kind of turned me on to horror, actually, because I watched it and I was like, wow, what am I missing out on?
0: Sure, But it also looks like it's more like psychologically, like a psychological thriller, which Mm -hmm. I'm, I like those more than like what we know as horror.
1: That's what The Witch is, Willoughby. You should watch The Witch.
0: Should I? It's so good. Oh, The Witch is on Netflix. That's another A24 film that made it. Oh, is it?
1: I thought it was on Amazon. Okay. I think it's on both. Oh. It's either on
0: both or it, like expired and went to Netflix. I'm not sure. Rights, digital rights are weird and non-existent, and iTunes could pull your fil- favorite films from, uh, market at any point. That happened to me in Moulin Rouge. Oh
1: no!
0: Um, uh, I bought Moulin Rouge. I had like a iTunes gift card like in 2012 for like a birthday, and I was like, I'm gonna buy like the 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 HD version of Moulin Rouge and like have it on my iTunes, and then like I, I go back. I go to like, um, you know, what, this is before I bought the Blu-ray. I went to watch it, and I was like, not there in my iTunes library. And I was like, what? I didn't, I didn't just delete one of my favorite films off of my iTunes library. And I think because this has happened a couple of times, where like people's like, like the the, the Apple just like gives up the rights, or that you know they they revoke digital you know permissions to, to show their movies. You know, show, show, you know, like they just like, oh, it expired. You yeah. can't watch it anymore. Anyway,
1: nothing is owned anymore. It's all physical just in media. the cloud. Anyway, buy physical media. Everyone go buy physical media because that's the only way you will own something in this day and age.
0: Can I talk about speaking of physical media? Um, Blank Check Podcast is now doing their uh, Miyazaki film series. Yeah. And only the, the only way you can watch. Studio Ghibli films is with Physical copies of Their films um, So I've over the past couple months I've been in the process of Buying all of Miyazaki's films um, And uh, the, the one film that you can watch Which is the one I watched this weekend Which is the first in their, in their blank check Series the Castle is Cal- Castle Cal- Cag- Cagliostro um, Which is a Loop in the third movie Because it's not A Studio Ghibli film and it's, it's, his, like, you
1: know, it's his directorial it's his debut. First, it's his first
0: feature yeah. film. So I didn't realize this was his first feature film. I thought he was like out of the gate with Nausicaä. Um,
1: no. So like, Miyazaki started his career in TV, as many animators did. Um, and, though, and so he got the chance to direct a feature film, which was Lupin the Third, an ongoing series. And it was very unusual at the time for directors to make an original film. Because uh, a... Animated directors weren't seen as auteurs; they were just kind of, you know, uh, work. It was like a workman, like a uh, sort of industry. You just kind of yeah. go in and do it, like the journeyman director. Um, and sure. so uh, Miyazaki actually helped kind of create uh, that niche. He helped craft that idea of the anime director being a actual auteur in his own right. With Nausicaa, Nausicaa too was something that was based off a manga. Because he, he wrote it um, when, this is kind of urban myth-esque, but when he wanted to do his own feature film based on original story, the studios he went to were like, well, we, we only do movies based off of manga or anime series, so we need a manga. So he went and made, he, he drew and wrote uh, Nausicaa the manga, and it actually the manga goes further than the events of the movie. But he made, and so he did uh, the movie, and uh, decided not to adapt any of the rest of the manga. Uh, I think it went on further. He kept writing it after he had established Studio Ghibli, so it was ongoing for a while. Um, And you can read the whole manga somewhere. I have the first issue right here. Oh wow! There it is. Yeah, with the when the Nazca 30th anniversary came out, I got a nice package from G Kids with the Nazca first issue of the manga, and also a Blu-ray edition of nasuka but there's no need because I already own all the DVDs of Miyazaki, uh, which I started collecting since I was in sixth grade um, after I got a Spirited Away Castle in the Sky uh, uh, DVD pack. My mom bought it from me on a whim, and I fell in love with them. I actually had seen some of the Miyazaki movies beforehand. I had grown up watching Kiki's Delivery Service. My grandma had a very worn-out VHS tape that I would watch over and over again whenever I went to her her place, and I had seen Princess Mononoke at a very young age and was traumatized by it. But after watching that DVD set of Castle in the Sky and Spirited Away, I became obsessed with Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli and made it my mission as a sixth grader, to collect every single Miyazaki film. So this is my first, like, movie love. And I have now all of his movies on DVD at home at my parents' house. I didn't bring them with me because I I know I need to go back home and get them. Actually, I watched my Spirited Away copy so much that it's worn out. It's the DVD. DVD? It actually is a little scratched. So I can't watch it in full anymore. I need to buy myself a new copy. Uh, so that's how much I love Spirited Away. I watched it so much that the DVD got scratched. Um, wow! Yeah, that's that's me. That's my that's my bid, I guess, to go on blank check podcasts. I love Miyazaki. Please, please, uh, <laughs> get me on your podcast. It's okay if you don't because you don't know me at all. But
0: and they may have already recorded those episodes. They probably already recorded um, all the
1: episodes, but it's okay. Yeah.
0: Um so yeah they so they started their their mini series and so like i was saying like i've been buying the the blu-rays like in order um i had never seen most of his earlier films i've only seen so all the miyazaki films up until now uh you've shown me those ones and in, in college like you, you were like let's watch spirited away and like other films um like castle uh howl's moving castle i remember watching that with you and uh, your roommate Rebecca and that was really fun yeah
1: um
0: and uh Rebecca who's been on this podcast who was very <laughs>
1: Friends great pod.
0: um uh and yeah so like I you know like in college I watched, I watched the ones that you were showing me and so like now that now that blank like I've really gotten invested in watching the films that Blank Check is also doing their episodes on so like I've seen every Michael Mann film now because they did a Michael Mann <laughs> Uh, podcast, and I've also seen every Tim Burton film, uh, much to my dismay. It's nineteen and films.
1: His first, first, He's, his early films are good.
0: First half of his films are great, mm-hmm. and after Planet of the Apes, which is terrible, it's a mixed bag, um, if not downright terrible. I will um, say,
1: what's that Labyrinth – That not labyrinth? The, the children movie that he does, like the the orphanage movie. Excuse me, the one with the the kids who are have special powers. Is that a Tim Burton oh. movie?
0: Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Yeah.
1: That's actually not bad. It's bad.
0: Really? No, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> uh, do you remember? Did you see it?
1: I watched half of it, and I'm like, this isn't terrible. Do
0: you remember, do you remember Aza Butterfield's wooden performance?
1: Yeah, he's not great.
0: He's not good. The girl good. is good, though,
1: the, and Eva Green is good. The
0: girl's good. The girl's good. The Asa Butterfield. The the problem with that is that if he was a, a minor character and the, the movie focused on any other of the peculiar children, it would have been a much more in- interesting film. But the because it's centered on him, it is, uh, it it just like dies around him whenever he's the the focus, which is ninety five percent of the time. Um, yeah. So Tim Burton, I've seen all of those films. I, Michael Mann has a really interesting career because how most of his films are like there's no humor to them they're like super serious he's you know he did heat which is like super like i watched heat and i realized i unlocked all of christopher nolan's films and i get i like i like understand them on a deeper level because what christopher nolan has been trying to do since the dark knight is just is recreate out just, just do heat um and like there was there's like so many things in heat that i was like oh this is this is the Dark Knight, but without Batman. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, cool, okay." I mean, like, it's a really good movie. I don't want to be reduct—I don't want to sound reductive when I say that, but like, uh, Heat's incredible, and most of Michael Mann's films I could take or leave. Um, but like, Thief is really good. His like first film is really good. Mm. Um, I have to say,
1: I actually haven't seen any Michael Mann movies, so they're I need to good. I
0: that. Don't, I don't think you need to see all of them, but I think you—I think if you watch Thief um last of, Mo- of the mohicans and heat and um miami vice
1: mm.
0: i think you have a really good understanding of who he is as a filmmaker um and as like a as like a director as like you know like just like and like you get you understand who you know like his style like you don't have to watch like the insider and Ali and uh, Public Enemies, or Black Hat. Like, those films... I mean, Ollie's pretty good, but it's a biopic, which he doesn't really do. Like, he really focuses his attention on cops and robbers. Yeah. Like, all his all his movies are adult cops and robbers. Um,
1: He's just and, playing cops yeah, and robbers his entire life.
0: Yeah, and that pretty much. Um, and so, now they're doing Miyazaki, and so this is my chance to uh, watch all the films that I haven't seen. So, like, I've watched... Um, I've been sort of, like, pre-watching these films before the episodes come out. And I'm going to watch them again the weekend that the episodes air. Um, Air. It's not, you know, it's podcasting. So release, I guess. Um, But I've I've now since watched Nausicaä of the Valley of the Wind. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. This is, like, such a good film.
1: Nausicaä's fantastic. Um, It's interesting watching his early films because you see a lot of the threads that he later picks up in later films and kind of expands upon. Uh, or character types too. The guy in Nausicaä, who I'm forgetting, Azu, he definitely becomes the basis for um Patsu in Castle in the Sky. He's very much of the same kind of character. Um but yeah. uh I Nausicaa I feel like is the purest distillation of Miyazaki's beliefs and his environmental sort of themes. And that's what makes it such a great film. I remember when I watched it, I was like, it is a little bit rough at the edges, I think. But it's yeah. such a great film, like, coming out the gate. Even though it's not really coming out the gate. It's, it's fantastic, though.
0: Right. I think, I think you know, it's the first Ghibli film, at least. Um, and then...
1: It was the film like, that established Studio Ghibli, so it hadn't been founded until after Nausicaä.
0: Oh, then I got that I got that backwards. Um but uh so castle of cagliostro is a fr- like you know part of a larger franchise that mm-hmm. he had involvement with and so like when i watched that film i was like oh i see, I see like you were saying like i see like the telegraphing of the rest of his mm-hmm. ouvre and yeah. like the rest of his like um style like yeah. it's obviously like not as reformed as you get when it's in spirited away and hell's moving castle like those are obviously like you know like progression of his of his development as a, as an artist and as like a director um but like nausicaa is amazing i i finally saw my neighbor totoro for the first time and you i was like
1: oh, i would like, never seen it before it's so lovely um, and it's a little it's so it's, sad too because it's it's, it's very it, melancholy yeah
0: mm-hmm. but it's also got like He's, he's a big Totoro, and mm-hmm. he, I just want to hug him.
1: You know um, that um, My Neighbor Totoro actually came out as a double feature in a way, like in back-to-back back in theaters with another Ghibli film, Grave of the Fireflies, um, because Miyazaki, he didn't direct Grave of the Fireflies. I think he did the screen treatment for it. Um, it was his... Uh, I think it was Issa Takahata who directed Great of the Fireflies. Miyazaki really wanted Great of the Fireflies to be released, but because it's such a serious topic and it's not a children's film, uh, the theaters and the studios really balked at it. So he said, you know, I'm going to do My Neighbor Totoro, which is like a fun, happy child film, which like is much more along the lines of what we usually do, and but we'll release it together. And it kind of became like they kind of become compliments to each other because they both set in World War Two, or like in the aftermath of World War Two, and deal with children sort of in that perspective of children kind of dealing with that loss and that grief and trying to somehow make sense of it. But Totoro does it in a much more whimsical and fantastical way whereas Grave of Fireflies is like in the thick of it and it's very dark and it's very sad and very hopeless. But yeah. it's a really fascinating to see those two back to back. I recommend it. Um, you might want to never be happy again after *Grave of the Fireflies*. It's its honestly the saddest movie I've ever seen, bar mm-hmm. none. You,
0: yeah, I remember you—you've telling me that, but and I still haven't watched it because of that. Yeah, where I'm I, like, I need to—I need—I really, really need to like emotionally prepare myself for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to watch and rewatch um, Miyazaki films. I, I like, really. Like every time I watch a film, I'm just, oh, of his. I'm just like, he's such a good director and animator.
1: He is. He's my favorite director. And if you, whenever you watch a movie, will be talk to me about it because I just want to talk about Miyazaki all the time, and not yeah. be annoying about it.
0: No, you're never. You're not annoying about it. Um, I know. I'm just gonna I, spew I, off I... a
1: bunch of fun facts about Miyazaki because I read his entire Wikipedia page when I was six in sixth grade and memorized it. I really. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I think that I th- I think and the I, I've listened to most of the first episode it of Blank Check's podcast um for Castle C- Cagliostro, um and they they dive into like what you were talking about, like how you know like his um beginnings and whatnot and like the context of where where he comes from and like where his films come from. Um and I'm excited to go on a di- a deep dive into his films. I have a deeper appreciation for both Tim Burton and Michael Mann since I've done this with Tim Bur- with uh, with blank checks you know podcast episodes about them because I'm like oh I could see like where Tim Burton started to fall off and where Michael Mann has sort of like he hit it big with heat and then has always been trying to recapture that heat I guess um and like black hat made nine million dollars. Um, I remember when it that was, came out that it was made a... it was it like was worth like it like filmed for like 70. it's like ooh that's a flop and he has he hasn't directed since and that was 2015 um although he does take some time in between films so maybe he's gearing up to do something else 70 million dollar that...
1: budget and it made back nine million oh my god yep. wow that's a catastrophic it, it, failure
0: yeah and that I mean but the, here's the thing this is chris Hemsworth post Avengers this isn't like you know Star Trek Chris Hemsworth where like he wasn't a star this is like he's he had made two Thor films and two Avengers films by the time he filmed Black Hat like um it did not like it uh movie stars can't sell films anymore
1: yeah look at Men in Black International a movie that definitely came out (laughs) this year
0: that also that film I also heard wasn't good yeah Black Hat's okay I've heard the director's cut of Black Hat is better, but that only airs on FX and one time at a screening in, in New York City. <laughs> it has never been released digitally or or on the on a DVD. That's hilarious. So like, I had to watch the theatrical version, and I'm like, I can see the why people like this, but it's also like, like it's a hacker film, you know, like, but it's also trying to be more than that. And I'm like, no, you're. It's like, it's like gritty pulp. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I recommend. You know, like I really, I recommend the blank, the blank check podcast for people who like really love filmographies and directors, and like the just the concept of like a director's blank check, where like they make a couple films and some somehow they, they hit it big with one, and then Hollywood gives them the chance to make films and see whether those, as they say on the podcast, uh, if those uh, checks uh, cash or if they, uh, what do they, what do they say, if they, um, if they cash the cash them, or if they bounce basically
1: well um, i'm of the i'm of the opinion that miyazaki has never made a bad film so he's made some like lesser uh like harder to like films or not hard to like films. like less like more what was it what's the word i'm looking for like esoteric esoteric yeah more esoteric films but none that are bad his films are always good and, yeah,
0: like um, I think, like the wind rises. I wouldn't call it like my favorite Miyazaki film, but I couldn't see anything really like problematic about it.
1: Yeah, and even his weaker films per se, like quote unquote, like Porco Rosso, Rus- um, or Pom and I, don't, I actually to love Pom Poko. Pom Poko hilarious.
0: I didn't know Porco Rosso existed until I looked up his filmography to like watch to to figure out which Blu-rays Did I have I to buy. Did I fail
1: you as a friend? Should I have just like no? Did I should I, I think... have told you the entirety of yeah. Miyazaki's filmography? I, I mean, feel like a bad friend. I mean, in hindsight, twenty
0: twenty, we should have done a, a Miyazaki marathon mm-hmm. and watched all his films over the course of like a weekend or something. But. I think you showed me the ones that you liked the most, because I feel like that would have been the reason why we only saw a couple. Or like you you only showed me like I think you showed me Castle in the Sky, Howl's Moving Castle. I think either we watched Spirited Away or you told me to watch Spirited Away. Um did make you watch
1: Princess Mononoke? that's one of my go-to's we as did. well. Okay, yeah that, that was like the first This one. is definitely like my like short my my shortcut. Like this is a yeah. the brief rundown of my favorite Miyazakis.
0: You yeah, you showed me Princess Mononoke first and then and then I think, yeah, so it was, it was like, so it was all of his like, like middle, mid movie, like mm. mid career movies. Well, it's more like late career
1: because uh Spirit of the Way is oh, yes. a yeah. movie.
0: Um,
1: have you seen Kiki's well, Delivery Service? That was
0: 2004. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen Ponyo and I haven't seen, we we watched the Wind Rises in theaters. Mm-hmm.
1: I remember. I think I was prepping you for Wind Rises.
0: Yeah, I think that's what <laughs> it was. It was like yeah. a
1: crash course in Miyazaki. Okay. Yeah. I guess I did okay Which I think as you're, for a crash I, course.
0: I think, I mean, and yeah, Castle in the Sky is a good, like, I, I, that, that dives into a lot more of his, like, um, like, environmental, I guess Nausicaa does that too. Like, yeah. all, all of his, like, all his films deal with envir- the environment.
1: The biggest and environmental ones, I think, are Nausicaa and Princess Marinoke. Um mm-hmm. Castle in the Sky a little bit. Uh, I, I like it more just like a fantasy adventure film. It's so beautiful yeah. too. Um, and uh, you know, you haven't seen Kiki yet, have you?
0: No, I'm excited to watch. Oh, Melissa is really excited to watch I think you'll that.
1: really like I think this one is the one I think you'll be your favorite because it's very relatable for, from a millennial perspective. It's just like, uh-huh. it's about that the artist's um, sort of burnout and that desire to create and that question of like, if we can't create, what are we? Oh, it's- gosh. <laughs> it's great it's so fun it was one of my favorite movies growing up as i told you i had a vhs copy at my grandma's and i would just go to her, her tv every time i visited and just watch kiki every time
0: yeah i just <sighs> bought, i just bought that that's the most recent one i bought on amazon so um and melissa said that she was like when you watch kiki's delivery service make sure i, I get to watch it too so i'm um, that because either she hasn't seen it or she really wants to watch it again i have to confirm
1: on that it's One of my but favorites. it's all it's the dubs for good. the Ghibli films actually are pretty good. Like even the Disney oh, dubs, yeah. they're great. Uh, I've been... Chris Kirsten Dunst does the uh, Kiki dub, and she's great in it.
0: Yeah, like I've been watching. I'm I'm a bad anime fan, and I've only been watching the dubs for these films. But they're That's like fine. good. They're good acting. I'd it's say not bad.
1: all the dubs are great. Princess Mononoke has like the most impressive dub. I'm surprised at it because it has a really big, big cast like Billy Crudup, Mini Driver, Billy Bob Thornton, but they're really good at it. Like usually when they're big, big name celebrities doing dubs or doing animation, it's hit or miss. Like they don't have that translation of like physical performance into vocal performance as well. But they all do an excellent job. Um, Spirited Away, I think, is actually kind of the roughest one. Even though I love it so much and I've watched the dub a million times, I just think that the voice that they chose for Chihiro is a little bit grating. Um, what's her name? I can't remember the actress. But otherwise, it's a good dub. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Like the fan, both Elle and Dakota Fanning were in my neighbor Totoro's yeah, dub, and they're good. And they did a really good job. They were like young kids when they did that, yeah. um, And they were was, was really good. Yeah, um, they did good.
1: That was a good dub. Yeah, I don't know why. Spirited Away is the one where I really enjoy watching it in the original Japanese. But that's also because it's like his most Japanese film. I have a whole other rant available in me about Miyazaki and his relation to Japanese culture and his Paris of my mind, um, you know, European fascination that he has in a lot of his films. But that'll be for another day.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could probably do a whole essay on the train scene in Spirited Away.
1: I'm actually planning one. We'll see. (gasps) I'm,
0: spoiler alert oops yeah, not to, went... not
1: inspired by the blank check podcast I mean, i've been thinking about doing a miyazaki sure. essay series for a while but that's something far in the future maybe look forward to that on slashfilm.com who knows
0: mm-hmm. i need to do my research or a book Ooh. i mean
1: maybe you should do a book that would you be my dream that would be my dream willoughby like literally i would cry sure. if i could write a book about are miyazaki. there
0: are there any miyazaki books that you would recommend Like, are there, like, books
1: about him? There are a few. There's a lot on the art of Miyazaki, but not a lot actually analyzing his works. There's a big, you know, scarcity in that, which is a little surprising. Yeah.
0: And I know there's a couple documentaries about him out, right? Yeah.
1: A lot of those are by, like, local Japanese news stations, too. Like, they just follow him around, and it's just about his life and stuff. So they're not actual, like, you know, they're kind of more docu-series in a way. And then they're edited into being a documentary
0: that's cool that's still cool though mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. more i guess you know more of like slice of life miyazaki instead yeah. of like a retrospective Literally,
1: i'm so obsessed with miyazaki i have seen like remember i'm remember watching the, all the delete the bonus features on spirit away and i was obsessed with this one bonus feature which was about the making of spirit away and there's this one scene of him cooking ramen for the his whole like team of animators that i i don't know why but i'm obsessed with it sometimes i'll just go on youtube and look up this scene and watch it (laughs) and um that's how obsessed i am with miyazaki so
0: i mean that's okay Mm -hmm. to be that obsessed with a director like you know i've watched everything about george lucas i read a biography about him from 1985 (laughs) yeah we all have
1: Um, our, our favorite directors Yours is Lucas. Yeah. Mine is Miyazaki. I've seen every film in his filmography. Uh, I think I missed. I'm actually interested to still, to go back into his TV stuff because that was when he was yeah, still like he,
0: a... he worked. He worked on the Loop in the Third TV series before he did the movie mm-hmm. or one of the movies, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I don't know any any other TV he made. Um, yeah, that was a long a long thing on Miyazaki, but I think he's worth it. Um, Always. Is there? Always, you know. Is actually, there... we haven't
1: done a Miyazaki episode yet, have we?
0: No. One day, we're gonna do it. Yeah. After I've seen all those films, and I don't know Anya's relationship with Miyazaki. I know she was a big anime fan, but I don't know about I'm her sure specifically. She's seen with that Ghibli. At least a few, yeah. mm mm-hmm. But then I think I think I mean that's that's almost itself a, a whole podcast series.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We could do a podcast series, the Miyazaki podcast. <laughs> yeah. Just like,
1: just like follow up mm-hmm. blank check just like we're not copying you at all
0: right we're not going to talk about the blank check part about it but we're just going to talk about his films <laughs> um
1: it's just ht it's just me rambling for an hour about how much i love miyazaki
0: and then i go yeah mm-hmm. that sounds right
1: all right oh, well it'd be, a, it'd be good i think it's a good way to wrap up this episode <laughs> we don't have a really like this week because this was our whole they're all bit, really like likes. yeah this is all i really likes um I hope you guys enjoyed our our uh, shooting the shit segment.
0: <laughs> we still have well, well. Hopefully, we we we'll probably call this something else on the podcast title, but well,
1: yeah, we'll let me we'll think. We're... Millennial talk? No.
0: Um, um, uh, I don't know. Chat Falcon um, chat Falcon <laughs> chat Falcon punch. Um, there's oh the. Like group text, the group chat. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Um,
0: live action, the live action group chat. I don't know. Um, well, we'll,
1: we'll think of something. something. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So- <laughs> well, anyways, if you guys have ideas for um titles for this segment, if you guys want to talk about the myriad of topics we've talked about today, including Miyazaki, uh, Adventure Zone, the Adventure Zone, Adventure Zone. Uh, I don't even remember. We just talked about a lot of stuff. A twenty-four
0: public A twenty-four
1: public access good time session. Um, yes, uh, and uh, what else? Uh, Scary stories the dark. Odacon. Any cons you want? You like going to? Let us know. And where can they do that? Willoughby?
0: You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can rate, review, subscribe, and listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And where can I find you on the internet?
1: You can find me at Bui on Twitter,
0: and you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter.
1: All right, thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.